The Long Box Crusade presents monthly Monday movie muckabout because the podcasting world needs another movie review show. I'm Rick, and you know me as not Jeff from Jeff and Rick Presents, and you know that I love movies. And there's a lot of people out there that love movies. Some of them are even bigger movie fans than I am. And of course, if I'm talking about that, I am talking about the one and the only Rob Kelly, who has decided to come on my show and to talk about a movie that he hasn't seen. Yes, we were able to find at least one movie that he has not seen, which is amazing. But let's go ahead and just talk to him right now. Rob Kelly, movie lover, member of the Firewater Network, owner of half the Twitter accounts in the known universe, uh, the, the host of MASHcast, Citizen Kane Minute, Bob Dylan, and so, so many others. Rob, how are you doing, sir? I'm doing great. How you doing, Rick? I don't want you to oversell it. It's really it's just me, everybody. Don't don't get too excited. <laughs> no, uh, you have you've been somebody that I have looked up to as far as when it comes right, to talking about it. movies. Just stop. Let's move on to the list, Rick. Come on. No, no, no. I have. I have. I, I really enjoy how you talk about movies. I enjoy how you talk about uh, a lot of different things on your many, many podcasts that you do. I do enjoy <laughs> Mashcast too. I really, really have appreciated how you always talked about movies. And when I started doing podcasts, I started with a comic book because, you know, I, I there was too many movie review shows. But I always liked your style of just, let's just talk about a movie. I really like that. And I really enjoy how you discuss movies with other fans and just kind of look at it from the enjoyment of the movies. So thank you very much for what you do with that. Well, thank you. Yeah, I mean, the show that uh, that I started out with, the Film and Water podcast, is not a new movie review show. We talk about old movies, sometimes newer movies, but basically we're, we're deciding what to review. And so I'm like, well, why do I want to do a show where I pick a movie that I don't like? Why would I, <laughs> why would I subject myself to that? So generally, we, me and my guest are always talking about movies that we like, because why else would you want to talk about it? And then, exactly. so it's kind of worked out that it's a more it's generally a more positive show because we are choosing to talk about a movie we love, whether it's it's a mad, 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 mad world or 20,000 leagues under the sea or murder by death or whatever goofy thing that my guests and I love. Well, it's, it's a very, very, very fun show. You've got such a deep knowledge of movies and a wide variety. How did that start? Where did you get your love or enjoyment of movies? Well, I mean, I, I've been around since the 70s, so I'm, I'm, I'm vintage at this point. I mean, I saw a lot of movies. My, my father used to take my sister and I out every week, and we would usually see a movie, not always. But uh, at the time, he was taking us to, like, every big movie. I saw the Star Wars movies and, and all of the, you know, Raiders of the Lost Ark and all the James Bond. Pretty much any cool movie from, like, 76 through around, I think, 83 is when we stopped kind of doing that on a regular basis. So I saw everything. And I don't know, I've just always loved the art form. And I've told the story in other podcasts where, you know, I was my my tastes were were kind of, you know, blockbuster defined, obviously. And then not too long after that, my dad told me once uh, he he came upstairs and I was in my room and he's like, put this movie on. There's a movie on PBS. I think you're really going to like it. And I, I was like, so I turned the TV on and it's black and white. And I'm like, oh, I don't know. That's a black and white movie. And, the, you know, does this have robots in it? And he's like, and it was Stalag 17. <gasps> and I was like, I don't want to watch this. He goes, trust me, you'll love it. And I'm like, okay. So I sat and watched it. And within, have you ever seen Stalag 17? I love it. And I probably have a very similar story about my father introducing it to me. And like, I'm not going to like this. And like, 
No, I'm loving this. I'm loving it's this. A, it's a great dad movie. Yeah. Uh, and like 10 minutes in, I was utterly hooked. And at that moment, I realized, oh, movies can be black and white. They can be old. They can, you know, I, at that at that point, my my horizon was broadened to where I was able to say, oh, any movie could potentially be good. It doesn't have to just be made in the last five years and feature lasers. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, it was that kind of thing. And after, And then I ended up working at a video store. Luckily, it was a video store that had everything. And therefore, my taste expanded even further. And it just, it's just been, I like to think, expanding ever since. I'm trying to appreciate lots of things. I don't watch as many new movies as I would like to. But that's part of the reason I do so many movie podcasts is that it inspires me to go watch stuff I wouldn't normally see. So I'm always trying to, you know, see as many different things as I can. That, that's wonderful. That's really wonderful because that's something that I try to encourage people to. I've been asked a lot of times, well, what genre of movies should I present to you? And I'm like... Uh, I will watch any genre. I encourage people to think, see things they haven't seen. And I like to challenge people sometimes to go outside that that little box that they do have. I will always fail to get my wife to appreciate musicals are black and white. And black and white musicals are right out of the question. But <laughs> I am trying to get my daughter at least on board that she can enjoy older movies as well. So mm-hmm. I approve of that immensely. Speaking of which, let's get on to talking about what movie I would like you to see. And I think our conversation has kind of led us in the right direction because you sent me a good list that had some great films on it, but I couldn't get by one that just stuck out at me. You are such a film buff and such somebody who loves older movies. Why have you not seen Harvey from 1950? This is the American comedy drama film based on Mary Chase's 1944 play of the same name, directed by Henry Costner and starring James Stewart and Josephine Hall. Rob, how did this one pass you by? I I don't know. It just fell through the cracks over the years. Ironically enough, I've actually seen Harvey on Broadway. I saw I saw they did it a couple of years ago on Broadway with Jim Parsons in the okay. role. And I went to see that and it was terrific. I love seeing live theater, but I've just never seen the movie. It's just one of those ones that just fell through the crack. I was certainly familiar with Harvey as a pop cultural reference, you know, the, what it meant that it was like, you know, like a, this this rabbit that that somebody only think you can see. So I knew what it meant. I don't know. It's just one of those ones. I like Jimmy Stewart. It just fell through the cracks over the years. So, yeah, when I was making the list, I tried to spread it out among genre and and uh, time period and all sorts. I mean, there's only 16 movies that I've not seen. Yeah. And so you asked me for a list of 15. So it was, you know, I was there's just one left that I haven't seen. But uh, Harvey's <laughs> on the list. So, uh, OK, now I know we, I was getting terrified which one you were leading up to. But uh, I figured all the ones that I put on the list, I wanted to see. There wasn't any that I was like, oh, God, please don't let him pick that one. So I was pretty that- safe. That's another nice thing about the way I do this, too, is, is once again, peeking behind the curtains, I mostly there are some times that I that I find information from other sources. But most of the time, I ask the person to provide a list of movies that they have not seen that are on their list. So there's a good chance that, you know, you have some interest in seeing the film. But I, I was happy that this came up because it's always great to see a movie that I love on somebody's list and just the shock of them not seeing it so I can experience it with them. But. I think we've talked about enough. I think you've got a good understanding about what the film is about from seeing the Broadway play. I am going to let you go right now to check out 1950s Harvey while we listen to the trailer from the same film. So we'll see you after this trailer. We predict. 
you'll greet Harvey with laughter and rousing applause. How do we know? Because for five long years, audiences did just that on Broadway for the most talked about Pulitzer Prize winning comedy of our time. And now at last, Harvey comes to the screen, better, richer, funnier than it ever was on the stage. Starring James Stewart as Elwood P. Dowd, America's most amiable citizen. With hilarious Josephine Hull and a grand cast. And once again, the critics are raving. Says Luella Parsons. And Walter Winchell. And Hedda Hopper. And we are back. I hope that you have had an opportunity to go and watch this fantastic film from the 1950s. If not, I'm going to give a very brief synopsis of what is in the film. This is based on the classic stage play, the story of Eldwood P. Dowd, who makes friends with a spirit taking the form of a human-sized rabbit named Harvey that only he can see. While many in the town accept Mr. Dowd as a harmless eccentric, his sister and his niece have determined that he is a detriment to their family, and then they try to commit him into a mental institution. This starts off a chain of events as Vita is mistaken for needing the psychiatric care. The admitting doctor is fired for letting Elwood go. The head of the hospital goes missing after a drink with Elwood and Harvey, and a number of strange circumstances that always seem to land in Elwood's favor occur. As Mr. Dowd and Harvey innocently walk through the world, others are forced to deal with their own insecurities and fears, and they are all forced to ask if Harvey is real or if they want Harvey to be real. So, Rob, tell me your first impressions of this film. Well, you know, it's it's funny. When I picked it from the list that I gave you, you know, obviously I'd never seen the movie, but I had seen a play of mm-hmm. it, the one that uh, they did in the early 2010s with Jim, Jim Parsons. And that was actually quite fun. I mean, I love going to see plays. I mean, just seeing a play at all was like really, really fun. And that was a really cool production. But I said, I, it was a, I was amazed that I had not seen the movie to this point when (laughs) I have to say of the list I gave you, this was one of the, like the least ones I wanted you to pick. And that's the one that you picked (laughs) because I was so afraid that it was just going to be really, really cutesy Uh and just so cloying that I was going to be like, Oh boy, you know? And cause I, I love Jimmy Stewart. I, you know, rear window and you know, the Winchester 73. And you know, I mean, it's, you know, the Philadelphia story, one of the great actors of all time, obviously, but I've also seen him in some movies where I was like, it, he kind of gets a little too cutesy. And I was like, is this going to be that? But then I watched it and it's really not that yes, it's very fanciful and it's a little, it's definitely silly in some places, and uh, it's a little twee in some other places, but mm-hmm. but I genuinely enjoyed it uh, because it's uh, there was just more to it than I probably would have imagined. And I should have given it credit because I know it's it's a film that has endured. It's still if Harvey is still like part of like the culture. Yeah. Uh, the, you know, the, just that concept of an invisible rabbit named Harvey. Uh, and the, I mean, like I said, I just said it was still being put on Broadway 
as of, you know, five, 10 years ago. And there's even apparently Steven Spielberg has optioned it for another adaptation at some point. So it's still in the culture. And so I should have expected that it's it's actually a lot better than I thought it was going in. That's good. So it seems to have somewhat matched your expectations, possibly exceeded them because you thought it'd be much worse. Yeah, I would say exceeded them. I would definitely say like, I don't I would not. We'll get into like the ratings of it and stuff. I mm-hmm. wouldn't be like, oh, my God, this was so awesome. I'm going to own this on Blu-ray and I'm going to watch it a bunch <laughs> of times. It wasn't that. But again, I was more familiar with the story from the play that going into the movie, I, I the story of Harvey, I always thought it was all just about this guy and his rabbit. And no, there's actually a whole lot of other stuff going on, way more stuff going on at the at the psychiatric hospital than I ever would have imagined that that was the story. And I will also say, like, this film was directed by Henry Coster, right? Right. So he's one of these guys who I know the name, but I was like, who, what, other, what else has he done? Like, I wasn't exactly sure. So I went and looked up his IMDb and he did like The Bishop's Wife, The Robe, my the remake of my man godfrey like a, a, mm-hmm. a lot of famous movies but nothing that really indicates to me like a particular like like he seems more like a journeyman kind of director okay Stuff's is all over the place his final film is the singing nun you know so he's <laughs> kind of like all over the place and i was a little like you know i think you really have to have like a real i think directorial handle on the material to for it not to be too cutesy and obviously i think he actually acquits himself very well as the director he keeps this tone going in such a way where jimmy stewart especially is i mean i it feels silly even commenting on jimmy stewart because it's jimmy stewart yeah but it's like jimmy stewart like nails that very tricky tone about standing there and talking to what he imagines to be a rabbit which again in the hands of another director slash actor could be kind of like really fatally i keep using that word like cutesy but that's keep what i'm going back to but stewart manages to to thread that needle i think a lot of this has to do with the fact that both jimmy stewart and josephine hall who plays his sister vita both of them played those roles on the stage so they have already coming to this role very much invested in the characters and you need both of them to sell everything in the movie. You need Jimmy Stewart to really show that he believes that Harvey exists and that he comes across as a caring, loving individual who listens to people who really cares about people. He walks that line between is he crazy or is he the most sane person in the world? Whereas his sister has to walk the line of being hated but also being sympathetic. She doesn't believe that Harvey exists, but she also has to believe that Harvey exists in order to make her brother happy. And in doing so, she believes that Harvey exists herself. So there's a lot of that going on too. And there's a lot of weight that both of those people have to carry in order, like you said, to make this more than just a cutesy movie. In order for there to be depth in there, you need those two roles to actually work and actually sell all of the nuances of what's going on to make it, more than just a comedy and more than just a fun little family romp. Yeah, I mean, you really can't. I, it's like any criticism of this movie or any analysis of this movie. It, you really almost kind of have to begin and end with Josephine Hall, like you yeah. just mentioned, because she and Jimmy Stewart apparently even said it himself that he said she had the toughest role mm-hmm. in, in the picture, because as you say, she's got to believe that he does exist because at the end. Like she kind of comes comes to the conclusion that he really is there, but also that he doesn't. And he, you know, meanwhile, Elwood is just a true believer from the very beginning. By the way, that was something else I really like that we don't see the origins of it. 
that mm-hmm. Elwood is all in on Harvey from the beginning all through the movie. I kind of thought that was interesting that we don't get like an origin story, you know, Harvey begins or anything. It's just, no, this is what it is. But Josephine Hall, she's in, I think, I mean, I didn't count. I didn't like measure it. I think she's in more of the movie than Jimmy Stewart. Yeah. In terms of screen time. I think you're correct. I think that Jimmy Stewart has some of the meteor dialogue and he has some of the more serious dialogue really. But the good comedy beats and the good frantic elements all really come from her. She's the one who is the protagonist of this. She is the one who is making things happen. It's the old adage I'm thinking about, like He-Man and Transformers. Yeah, the good guys are good guys. But really, it's the bad guys that move the story along. You need the protagonist to move the story along. Otherwise, Elwood is just going to be going on through his daily life. Always. He's going to be going to the bars. He's going to be meeting people. But it's what... Vita is trying to accomplish. She wants a normal life. She wants to get this fixed. And she's the one who causes this day to happen because you're, you're right. This is just a day in their life. It just happens to be a very pivotal day, but it is just one day. And we, and we learn about what happened before through some really good storytelling techniques. Yeah. And she won the Oscar for this. She won yeah. an Oscar for best supporting actress. So, I mean, again, they recognize that she really is kind of carrying the movie and Forgive me for making this connection because this is ridiculous. Have you ever seen the movie The Babadook? No, I have not. Okay. Yes, everybody. I'm connecting Harvey up to The Babadook. Uh, <laughs> it's a great, great horror movie. I, I think one of my favorite horror movies of the last like 10 or 15 years, right? But there's a scene in that movie where the whole... I'm not going to get into the super details of that movie, but basically the early setup is it's a single mom and she's got this young boy who has a lot of emotional problems. And she is being driven to the edges of sanity by this kid because this kid is just so much trouble. He's not trying to be, but he is. And this poor woman is just trying to raise this kid and have a job and keep a roof over their head and put food on the table. And this kid is just making it harder and harder and harder. And all that is before they even get to the evil spirit that is the Babadook. (laughs) But there's a scene in that movie where the kid causes more problems for the mother and she just hauls off and screams almost in tears. Why can't you just be bloody normal? Mm-hmm. And I thought it was an incredibly powerful moment because you just, the way that actress, um, I believe Jennifer Kent, I believe sells it. You're, you're just like, you're so frustrated. This poor woman is trying so hard. And it seems like this kid is just fighting her every minute of the day. And her, her plaintive cry of, can't you just be bloody normal. And there's a scene like that that Josephine Hull has Mm -hmm. where she's just now again, it's not to that level of drama because this is a comedy, light comedy, not a horror movie. But you do get the like she is able to convey this frustration with her brother of like, why are you like this? Mm -hmm. Like just so frustrated. And she really puts that across where she loves this guy. And he's not really harming anybody. I mean, there's that scene where he goes to the the initial scene where he goes to the bar Mm -hmm. with Harvey and he just talks to Harvey like he's there. You know, he's not making anybody else really talk to Harvey. He's not like he's like, hey, here's a drink for, you know, make Harvey pour a second drink for Harvey. He isn't doing any of that. But this poor woman is like she's worried about how she's perceived in the town. Yep. And she just is like, can't you just kind of be bloody normal? And she's again, she hits that. That fine line of like, this has got to be a light comedy, but also it has to have some dramatic heft where she is just so frustrated with this guy. And Jimmy Stewart is so genial Mm. in his most Jimmy Stewart is 
ness you know most like <laughs> he's jimmy stewart at like 11 yeah. here yes but yet she was really able to put that across and it's sort of funny you kind of forget she's like way older than jimmy stewart like oh, you yeah. look at the two of them and you're like how are they brothers <laughs> they look like they're 20 years apart but again <laughs> again she just really sells it well I, part of it too i think helps with what we're seeing the difference in what they look like Jimmy Stewart sells the youthfulness and the carefree attitude and the he walks straight. He walks with the purpose of just enjoying life. Whereas you see this short, shriveled, angry, flustered little woman. I think that helps sell it. They could be close in age. They could be very close in age. But this is what the world has has produced with the stress she has. Whereas Jimmy Stewart has just let it all go. And he is walking through life much happier. I wanted to ask you this, though. Do you see Vita as the villain of this piece? I know I mentioned her as the protagonist, but there's been a couple of things I read where she is listed as the villain of the piece. No, she's not the villain. What you said, she's absolutely the protagonist, but she's not the villain because the villain. Is, no, I that, that's just such a like a harsh term for what she's doing. You got to think about like this movie, you know, this play was written in 1945 right so they're mm-hmm. making the movie 1944 and then it goes to broadway in 1945 it won a pulitzer prize for pete's sakes they make the movie in 1950 so what's happening in america in the late 40s well it's becoming the war's over mm-hmm. it's becoming much more conservative the country is you know turning in a certain direction and this idea of being different and weird is kind of not cool really not that it Mm -hmm. ever really was in this country but you know what i mean and so harvey seems to be a very a conscious reaction to that and yeah you could say well this woman is worrying too much about that the town what the town thinks of her but that's what the upper class thinks of yeah the upper class but by the way you mentioned like how much older she seems yes part of it is her her costuming like she dresses like it's like the early 1900s her outfits uh-huh. are, are so kind of like, you know, Jimmy Stewart is in kind of modern looking suits and yeah. she kind of looks like Louis the Lilac from Batman, the TV show. Like it's so <laughs> different. But I mean, th- that was so much was going on in films at the time of this idea that like what your small town could do to you if it doesn't mm-hmm. approve of what you're doing. And she's so worried about her standing that she's again, she's just trying to get this guy to be normal. and She's not fully understanding what's going on with him. So, no. She's absolutely not the villain. And we also have Myrtle May, the niece Mm -hmm. or her daughter. And she's another one who's very self-conscious about how she's going to be accepted. How is she going to find a husband? It's that old cliche idea that, you know, if you don't find a husband, nobody's going to take care of you. You're going to become, uh, thinking back to another Jimmy Stewart film, you're going to become the old maid librarian. So she's got to, you know, find the good husband. She's got to be part of the good society. We have her kind of painted in the same same vein of being, this is what the the crazy uncle is doing to us. Mm-hmm. And I agree with you too. I agree with you too. I was just asking that question mm-hmm. just to kind of add some talking points to this. But I think there's two other candidates for, if we were to try to find a villain in this piece, which I don't think there is any villains in this piece, but there's two other characters who could come close to that role. We have Dr. Sanderson, played by Charles Drake. He may be the closest one, especially in today's standards, just the way he's talking to Miss Kelly and and his entire interactions with her. He's kind of a cad, if you don't mind the term. Mm -hmm. What, What did you think about Charles Drake's portrayal of Dr. Sanderson? Yeah, I mean, he's he's operating within the very narrow band of what his 
kind of part of medicine is going to tolerate, really. He doesn't have a much imagination about how to regard what this guy does. You know, it's like, this isn't normal. And then when, say, when, when Vita shows up, like, he immediately considers, thinks that she's crazy. Like, it's almost like it's that kind of like when all you have is a hammer, all your problems look like nails or whatever it is. You know, it's like <laughs> it's almost like he's like, well, I got to put somebody in here because that's that's what I have this out. That's why we have this hospital. Right. There's got to be somebody we can put in. I almost think that he, as a as a doctor, he actually shows a little more competence and compassion than he does as a human being, because his interpersonal relationships with his associate, Miss Kelly, seems to be a little bit more caustic and He's a bit more oblivious than his nearly correct diagnosis that Vita may actually be the person who has issues, which is pretty close. Whereas Elwood seems fine in comparison to his sister. What did you take about the relationship between Sanderson and Kelly? I didn't have like a really strong impression of it exactly. I thought like Peggy Dow as Miss Kelly and you mentioned Charles Drake, like Charles Drake. Mm -hmm. Again, like they're in it a lot. Like I don't It felt like. I wasn't just too terribly interested in that, like that storyline. And mm -hmm. when the movie would kind of slide over to that, I was like, oh, okay. I yeah. it almost felt like like killing time a little. Now that's not exactly fair because again, it's in the play. Because I remember seeing it again when I when I saw it live, it was in the play. But like, I don't know. I just that part did not generate a huge huge bunch of interest for me. When um Jesse White showed up, the Maytag repairman. Yes. For for people very old who remember such a thing. He plays Martin Wilson. <laughs> like he's such a fun character actor. Every time he showed up, I feel like the thing had a little more light like the proceedings had a little more life to it because I felt yep. like he had kind of the right comic energy for what this was. Like I in a weird way, I feel like Charles Drake and Peggy Dow, when they were together, they're in a slightly different movie than yep. everybody else. Like the tone is more. I don't know, we don't say realistic, but it just felt like you could have they're pushing the melodrama of it. Yeah, like you could have plugged it, you could have plug and play that into like another kind of movie as opposed to kind of like little delicate souffle that this thing is, kind of. <laughs> yeah. I and I am absolutely agreeing with you on this. And you also mentioned the other character who is in contention for the protagonist of the movie or the the villain of the movie. Watching it last night with my wife, she kept just railing against Marvin Wilson as the orderly and how he was treating everybody. And yet I'm like, he is a good representation of the everyday guy just doing his job. He's got one mission. He's got to find Elwood and nobody's going to get in his way. Well, except Myrtle May. But <laughs> isn't it amazing? You think about like how we accept like people just looked older back then yeah. because he's an orderly, right? He's an yep. orderly. He was, let me say, this is, he was 53 when he made this movie. First of all, he looks like he's like 70, but Jesse White, I think, yeah. always looked 70. I think he's one of those guys that when he was born, he just looked old. But like, yep. he's yep. an orderly and like, shouldn't he be like nearly in retirement at this point? Like, he's at all kind of at all. I mean, I don't want to say he's too old because I'm only three years younger than him at this point, but it just, <laughs> And it, it just like that seems like a, like if they made this movie today, right? An orderly uh -huh. would be like a twenty year old, not yeah, roly poly yeah. Jesse White. But the thing is, he sells that role, and yeah. also you've got him against a few other people, like the main doctor, Doctor William Chumley, Cecile Kellaway. He looks old. You've oh, got the he, lawyer guy. He always looked old. Cecil Kellaway. Oh yeah. yeah. Then you've got the lawyer who's there. Who I think he passed away a couple years after this film was made. And then you do have the guy at the gate who I was expecting a stiff we breeze would blow him down. Clem Bevins plays Herman Schimmelplatzer, which I love that name. <laughs> but everybody calls me Herman. Okay, Mr. Schimmelplatzer. <laughs> 
I, I always am a little, I remembered reading in a book, I used to read Roger Ebert's books back, you know, when he was like a active film critic and he had a rule about outside of Groucho Marx, you cannot have funny names in your movie because you're just trying to work. <laughs> and so every time I hear a name like that, I'm like, I'm a little like, hmm. Mm, mm, maybe, <laughs> maybe, maybe not. I don't know. But just while we're talking about the cast, I just want to throw this in. It's not really, it's not really super related to Harvey, but the taxi driver, Ellis Logfriend, is yes. played by an actor named Wallace Ford. Now, Wallace Ford is somebody that up until fair, like just like a month ago or two months ago, I was not very familiar with. His next movie, right after Harvey was the John Garfield movie, He Ran All the Way, which is John Garfield's last movie, which I analyzed with my guest, Michael Cronenberg, on my show, Fade Out. So, like, I almost had never heard of this guy. And in the space of two months, I've now seen two of his movies back to his two back to back movies in 50 and 51. So I'm like, wow, this guy's just popping up all over the place now when six months ago, I'd never even I don't think I'd never even heard of him. In honor of you, and I know how you love to get these weird kind of credits or, or try to figure out, you know, who worked on what film and things of that nature. One of your favorite films is The Razor's Edge. Absolutely. And there is a connection. The art director of this film, Nathan Juran, was the art director of Razor's Edge. Oh, wow. Okay, cool. Well, so yeah, he was a studio guy. That made sense. They just hand, He just... Got handed from picture to picture to picture, probably. So oh, that's cool. Good for him. And, and you know, I, I know you like those kinds of things. And, and they, they yeah, make I do. This kind I of, love it. <laughs> they make this game kind of fun for people like us. <laughs> the, the, you know, you look at the sets of this movie and like, you know, movies back then, they were expected to use the same sets over and over again. Like they yep. had a neighborhood set and you yep. used it in 50 movies. And that's how these studios made their money back on these things. And it was black and white. So therefore, it was even easier to kind of hide that you were showing the same thing over and over again. But that allowed the sets to be so sumptuous. And, yes. and, and, and you know, not, I mean, other movies where things have to be, like, are more grandiose, it's, it's easier to notice. But like, even something as simple as this movie, which is just set in a neighborhood, and then there's like the bar, and there's the hospital. I mean, standard sets, but I mean, God, they're gorgeous. I mean, they're just so beautiful to look at, and they look real because they were probably used by like, 40 other movies <laughs> to that point. And I just think it's like, they don't, I think nowadays they'd probably just shoot it all on location because mm -hmm. studios don't have this back lot anymore really much. And so like, again, like that bar set that Jimmy yeah. Stewart shows up, it looks like cheers, you know, like yeah. it's like, it looks like a real bar. It's beautiful to look at the, the, the scenery, the sets they get to play in. You, you do look at the house that they live in. The grounds were the, the, the sanitarium grounds that it all occurs on. The other thing I noticed about the sets and about the actors in the sets is how they dance around them. That's one thing I really appreciated this time of looking at the film is the way that they are moving around, the way they are blocking themselves, and how that informs the story of everything they're doing. And it starts off right at the beginning where they are starting to set up the house for this uh, clam bake that's going to occur, this women's social that's going to occur at the house. And they're putting out all this stuff on the table, and Vita and Myrtle May are dancing around each other. They're putting stuff on the, on the table as they're talking to each other, and it's very rehearsed. They know exactly what they're doing. They're putting stuff down, and then they stop and pause while the housekeeper keeper comes out and puts something out and then she goes back in and they continue on their dance and their talk and you see that throughout the film and especially whenever anybody's interacting with Elwood and Harvey there's moments where 
they Elwood looks up at Harvey, and as he does it, people are looking away or doing something else in that exact moment, and they're not realizing that he's talking to Harvey. Yeah, I like I like that I like that quite a bit. I really did. <laughs> Sorry, I kind of went off on my own little tangent there. <laughs> no, I'm, you know, well, we're going to institutionalize you now, Rick. That's what oh, I'm, I'm just been <laughs> waiting for that to happen. Somebody's got to do that to me. That's another thing I wanted to ask. What did you think about this, the overall cinematography? That was used during the film. Like I said, it's a really handsome movie. I think these, I mean, look, I got obviously it's a Jimmy Stewart movie. So like Mm. it's an A production, but like, again, even, even something as quote unquote simple as this, as kind of just this family comedy slash mild drama just has a look to it, a, a beauty to it that I think a lot of movies nowadays, uh, again, I'm not being, I hate to be like, get off my lawn. And like, oh, movies back then were better looking. But just they, because the, the the studios had this network of people that they were just moving from movie to movie to movie, they had a real, uh, you know, and everything had a baseline look to it of like, it's really going to look really, you know, really sharp. I mean, the guy, again, mm-hmm. the, the cinematographer was this guy, William H. Daniels, who was an Oscar winner. And he did movies like Cat on a Hudson Roof and The Shop Around the Corner in like Flint, for God's sakes. Uh, I mean, uh, the, you know, and he's got like, what, let me see. I'm looking at his IMDb here. 170 credits as a cinematographer. 170. Mm-hmm. That's like, imagine being able to get good at your craft when you have that many attempts to do it. Like, that's amazing. Nobody any nowadays, people don't get 170 movies under their belt. You just don't do it. But I mean, no. man, this guy got to do 170. And Harvey was like at the midway point. <laughs> so, you know, he went on to do like 40 more movies after that. So it's like, yeah, the thing, it's just like a really beautiful looking movie from beginning to end. Yeah, I, I enjoy how they do focus on the character of Harvey at times, or they focus a scene where it's not centered on the people you can see, but they always leave a space for Harvey there Mm -hmm. as well. And they purposely add that in there. Well, a couple more questions here, and then I'll start to let you go. First of all, is there anything else that you really want to talk about that we may have missed yet or any other highs or lows you wanted to add in? Not so much the movie itself, but just the idea that obviously there's something kind of remarkable that this thing has, again, lasted into the culture. Mm -hmm. I looked it up and I was seeing, first of all, they remade this, the, the play, a couple more times. They did a TV version mm-hmm. um, with Harry Anderson. With Harry Anderson, which I never saw that. And but I, it's funny the the 1998 one with Harry Anderson has Jessica Hecht in it from Friends, and she was in the the, the 2012 revival, which I saw. So she was in that. But there was another version from the 70s with with Richard Mulligan, Fred Gwynn, and Madeline Kahn. <sighs> and man, I would. And Jimmy Stewart was in that one too. I would love to see that. I wonder if that's on YouTube or something. I would love to see that. <laughs> Madeline Kahn was a genius. Yes. And I feel like Madeline Kahn would almost be like the exact right person for this, the energy of uh-huh. this piece. The other thing was like, I was going through and looking up some of the contemporary references of Harvey, right? Cause I'm like, I know I've seen it. I know I've heard mm-hmm. it. And just in a couple, like in um, the movie, the, they mentioned Harvey the rabbit in the Shawshank Redemption. Yep. They mention it in Memoirs of an Invisible Man with Chevy Chase, which is a movie I will go to bat for. It's not a a renowned (laughs) movie, but I will go to bat for that movie. And of course, there's even mentioned in Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Yep. So just there, it's and and also they said that it's in um, A Beautiful Mind, Donnie Darko, which is kind of like the, you know, the the indie dark version of, of Harvey. I mean, it's like, and the list goes on and on and on. And there's something amazing to me that this, 
that that word Harvey, that name Harvey can become synonymous with your imaginary friend throughout the culture, even though I think if you ask the average person nowadays, what's Harvey, they wouldn't know what it is. Like they wouldn't be able to tell you what, where it comes from, but mm-hmm. they would know, oh, it's like an imaginary friend or something. And there's something kind of wonderfully old school comforting about that, that maybe some people, the idea of having an imaginary friend is still kind of appealing, even though people probably wouldn't admit to it because again, you might be considered like you're a little crazy. And that was going to be my other question for you, actually, is do you believe in Harvey? That's kind of the conceit of the film is, is Harvey real or not? I believe Elwood. He believes it's real. He believes it's real. Is he literally there in our reality? I don't think so. Although the movie, when it in the end credits, seems to tip that it is because he they literally give Harvey a credit in the movie. Now, of course, that could just be. Henry Coster just having fun, but because of course, once we're in the credits of a movie, we're not in the real, we're not in the reality of the movie anymore. But I would say that, that Elwood absolutely believes it's true. And on some, like it almost like, what does it matter then at that point? Yeah. If he believes it's true and the sister finally comes around to believing mm-hmm. it. So maybe he really is there because that's it's in his imagination. So, okay. Yeah. Then, then he is. And it also is a bit of like you were saying too, our own imaginary friends are what we need to do to find comfort in ourselves and in our own lives. The film asks some very deep philosophical questions. It really does. And you can take a few moments and actually explore them and say, is he hurting anybody? Is his life better for putting aside everything else that he could be doing and talking to people and interacting with them and finding that own inner peace with his imaginary friend? I, I enjoy this movie. I find it to be a very comforting movie. I find it to be one of these films that you don't worry about showing with your family or your friends or anybody at all. It's not going to offend them. And it's just going to make you feel good at the end of the day. But that's me. <laughs> I'm an old softy. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a charming movie that doesn't wear out its welcome. It's an hour no. and 44 minutes. And again, I, I really didn't mean to come on here and be so down on like modern movies or stuff. But like <laughs> with every movie nowadays, even like comedies are like their run times are like 147 minutes or something. Mm-hmm. I appreciate a movie that kind of gets in and out. But it's as I said at the top of the show, I went into this worried that this was going to be so twee. That yeah. I was just going to be like, oh, God, no, I don't want to, you know, because I mean, Jimmy Stewart apparently was even among all of his films. And that's a lot. Of, you know, he had a lot of great yeah. movies. He was really proud of this one. And I, I I saw something said that when Harvey finally got put on VHS, like he recorded mm-hmm. a special intro for it. Yes, he so, did. I mean, I've- that's that says something about how much he really felt about this movie. Yes, he did. I actually have a DVD copy of this and. That's at the beginning of the film. And it's something that you want to listen to. You want to hear him talk about his recollections, his experiences on that, and what the film means to him. And I I think you're right. It does say something that somebody who gave us some of some of the really deep American films, this is the one piece that he just really felt that spoke to everything else that he did. Yeah, and I mean, think about I it. He, appreciate that. He starts the decade with Harvey and ends it with Vertigo. You know, I mean, that's a, <laughs> <laughs> and he did a lot of great work in between. I mean, oh, yeah. Rear Window is my favorite Hitchcock movie of all time. Like he, he really took on a lot of bold projects for somebody who was entering the midpoint in his career, but he was yep. already certainly like this legendary figure, and he could have kind of coasted 
and done a lot of really safe stuff. And he, he chose not to do that. And something else just related to Harvey. And I don't mean to get too far afield off of this, but like one of the things that I've noticed as I've gotten older and, and I've you know been on social media and stuff is like, I'm old enough to know, I'm old enough to remember that like, if people would reveal certain things about their, their predilections, whether it be, you know, I don't know, like if it's like their sexual predilections or their, their particular, you know, uh, interests or whatever. And like, I'm old enough to remember when, like, if it wasn't kind of straight laced, that was really looked down upon. I mean, God, I'm old enough to, I, reading comic books. Yeah. Was considered, you know, what are you a weirdo? Mm-hmm. And there, it seems like more with younger people now that a lot, all that's gone. All that's gone. It's like, you know what? Does it harm anybody? No. Then who cares? Yep. Do what you want. If you, that's your weird thing, is it is it harming another person? No. Then let your freak flag fly. And I find that to be very charming because I didn't grow up in that world. No. And I find it great that younger people are going through that. I mean, I'm sure there are still bullies and everything else like anything else. But just that idea of, hey, I like I do. I'm into this thing or this is something I believe that doesn't bother anybody. Then fine. And so it's a weird way. It's like Elwood would fit in better now because people are like, well, so what? He believes in this. Yeah. What, what difference does it make? Look, let somebody enjoy their life yeah. and don't and don't harm them for it. I I completely agree with it. I completely agree with you. And and I think that we do need a lot more of that tolerance in the world. And once again, it's the reason why I enjoyed this film. I saw it when I was a kid. I was happy to share it with my daughter. And I was what happy did she to think of it? Oh, she loves it. I was watching it last night and she came out of her bedroom. She goes, are you watching Harvey? I said, yes, I am. Hmm. And she walked back to her room. I know she, I showed it to her. She was over at my parents' house a few months ago and she said, yeah, yeah, we watched Harvey over here. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a enjoyable film that still is accepted by people today. It's even accepted by my wife who hates black and white movies. So, you know. <laughs> Well, maybe if they uh, remake it, you can go see the the remake if Spielberg ever actually makes it. I that's that I, I gotta tell you, that's hard for me. I am so instilled with this being Jimmy Stewart. I don't know if I could handle a remake of it. I saw that too last night about Harry Anderson was in a remake in the eighties, and I was like, that'd be interesting to watch. I don't know if I can do it. I don't know if I can do it. But let me ask you, final question, then we can try to get you out of here. How many full bags of popcorn would you give this film? All right, on a scale of one to five, right? You can, we can't do halves. No halvesies, unfortunately. All right. I mean, I don't mean to cheat. Well, I'm not going to cheat. You you won't <laughs> let me cheat. I, I, it's like it's it's it. I, I really can't give it. I, hmm. all right. I'm going to give it four. I'm going to give it no four problem. out of five. I'm going to get. <laughs> it's one of those things that I think objectively is a very good movie. Is it again? As as I said at the top of the show, is it something that I'm going to go back to a lot? No, probably not. But it's objectively a great movie with great performances and it's, it's certainly kind of a cinema classic and three stars just feels too low. That just feels too harsh. So I'll go with four. I can completely understand it. Sentimentality is going to kick it up to that fifth star for me, but I can, I can completely see for you and I can completely see for anybody accepting this as a four star film. Just like I said, for me, there's a bit of sentimentality in there. I was watching it last night and I just felt myself enjoying it, just enjoying it. But to each his own, and your mileage is always going to vary. Everybody's going to have their own opinions on it. But there, 
this is as near to perfection of, of a film as I can see. There's a lot of good films out there that are, that are very close to perfection for me. But like I said, sentimentality on that. <laughs> All right. We have been talking for quite a while, so let me get you out of here. But first, can you tell the wonderful, wonderful people where they can find you? Well, you can find all of my shows over on the Fire and Water Podcast Network. I host shows on movie, movies, uh, music, TV, and comic books. And uh, you know, specifically to this show's audience, I do a show called the Film and Water Podcast, which is pretty much just any movie review that, that that I feel like doing. We've been doing a lot of audio commentaries lately. So that's that's what I've been doing on that show. And then my other ongoing cinematic show is Fade Out, which um, that is a show where I review with me and a guest. I review the career of an actor or producer or director or writer, someone who is creative in Hollywood through the prism of their final film. So it's like, you know, does it say something about their career? Did they go out on a winner? Did they go out on maybe not so much a winner. And that has been a really fun show to do. And I've had a lot of great guests. So that's, uh, I would uh, hardly recommend people check that out, fade out. It's my, it's one of my favorite things that I do. I joked a lot with Rob on this about how many shows he does and it puts <laughs> the rest of us too to many. shame. Put too many, too many, too many. But all of his shows are fantastic. I highly recommend MASHcast 2. I mean, there's so much good stuff that Rob puts out. I cannot say enough. And I, Thank you very much for being on the show with me. Thank you very much for inviting me. I appreciate it. This is a, I, this is such a fun premise, letting somebody else pick the movie I'm going to watch. I'm not used to that. So uh, really cool. Yeah. Thanks, man. No, I, I, I'm completely on board with it. I, every 25 episodes, I have somebody come on the show, take it over, and give me a movie. <laughs> and <laughs> actually, right before this one, this is going to be the 51st episode. So the last one we did, uh, Jared Albrick came on, and he gave me Let the Right Ones In. Oh, wow. Okay. I really thought it would have been some 80s action thing that he would have picked. <laughs> I, I, I got to say, I was a little surprised too, but that was a that was a good movie. That was a lot of fun. Yes, so, it was. Yeah, that was a it, good pick. Yeah, it, it's, it's really enjoyable. I like doing this. It's good to have conversations with people after they've seen a movie that they haven't seen and just sharing a love of movies with people. So thank you very much for coming on. So before we get out of here, I just want to do my shout outs for my stuff. You can find me on Twitter at mmuckabout or on my other podcast, Unpacking the Power of Power Pack, which I host with my six foot seven invisible rabbit, sometimes known as Jeff. <clears throat> Nobody else can see him but me. It's pretty awesome. Anyways, if you would like to be on this show, please feel free to contact me. You can reach me at Jeff and Rick present all one word at gmail.com. Big thank you to Longbox Crusade Network for letting me use this wonderful attic of their headquarters to broadcast this show. Thank you to the Longbox Crusade members who help support this network. If you want to support it, please head on over to Patreon and search for Longbox Crusade. That's all the time we have. Grab some popcorn, pull up a seat. We'll be back in a month with another episode. The music for this episode is Fall Back by musical genius Joe November. Check out his SoundCloud at josephlin99. That's J-O-S-E-F-L-I-N-9-9. reality doubt sooner or later. Uh, well, I wrestled with reality for 35 years, Doctor, and I'm happy to state I finally won out over it.